All right, hey Mountain, it's uh, it's good to be together. Whatever campus you're joining us from, watching online today, it is it's good to be together. We started this new series a couple weeks ago called Pushing the Limits. It's all about finding godly boundaries and kind of pushing them into our lives, right? And it got me thinking. Uh, for a lot of us, I think for the very first time, we might actually be finding some boundaries for our life that we didn't know we needed. And as we've sought those out, I, I think maybe some of us we've started to, to change the way that we live, right? Uh, I think that's a process that we go through for our entire life. It's finding the right boundaries and starting to implement them into our lives. I want to I give you an example. Uh, I, last year, I coached a seven and eight year old basketball team, okay? And seven and eight year olds, it's the first time they really play uh, basketball as a team. And the whole point is really to teach the limits, to teach the boundaries, to show them what's right and wrong, to show them how to play the game. Uh, it's actually a little bit more like herding cats, if you will, right? It's a little complicated. You're trying to teach them some stuff, and at practice, you think you're getting it into their heads, and then you play a game, right? And our first game last year, oh, it was tough. It was hard. Y'all, just do me a favor. Give the coach some grace, okay? It, it was difficult watching these kids. They're dribbling. They're bringing the ball down. They're doing okay, but it seemed like every 10 or 15 seconds, we'd hear the shriek of the whistle, and the ref would say, out of bounds. You stepped on the line. Turnover, right? Isaac would drive the sideline. He'd put his foot on the line as he's going, and the, you'd hear the shriek of the whistle. Turnover. Jude would drive baseline, and his foot would step out. The, the shriek of the whistle. Turnover. Over and over again. It felt like every 15 seconds, the game was stopping because somebody stepped out of bounds, it's difficult. I'm the coach. I'm sitting there watching. I'm a part of the game, but I'm removed from it, right? Saying, hey, hey guys, stay in bounds. I'm on the sidelines. And everything in me wants to run out onto the court and help them. Everything in me wants to run out and just kind of push them back in bounds. Actually, I, wanna, I want to be a little bit more like this coach. Check out this video. <laughs> Like, all right, give, give the guy a break, all right? It's hard. Man, everything in me wants to run out and just say, no, don't. But the kids have to make the decision for themselves to stay in line, all right? So about halfway through that first game, we, we call a timeout, and I bring them all over, and I pull out the, the coach's clipboard, okay? And I, I pull up the clipboard. I don't draw and I don't write any lines. I just say, hey, guys, check this out. You see the lines around the court, Stay in those. Okay, you go out of bounds, you're going to hear the whistle, the ball is going to be turned over, and we're going to have to go back to defense. And I, I watched you boys, every time you heard the whistle, you put your head down, you sauntered back onto the court, you felt like you had done something wrong, just stay in bounds. In bounds, if you choose to live within the boundaries, the game is going to be fun. It's going to be dramatic, it's going to be exciting, we might even win. But you've got to make a choice. I can't come in and do it for you. Okay, I'm hanging out here. I'm going to coach you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be for you. But I, I can't actually keep you in bounds. You have to make a decision. And when you do, the game is going to be more fun. And I bet, as we've been going through this series, for a lot of us, we, we've come to find out that if we start to live with some good, godly boundaries, life is more fun. I think all of us in our life, we set boundaries. Naturally, it's something we do. But when we look for the wisdom of God and setting those... We look for the Spirit of God to lead in those. We realize life can be more fun. And the whole time, God is there with you. 
He's saying, you got this. Stay in bounds. You're going to go. Do it. You're awesome. I'm coaching. I'm directing. But you have to make the choice. Are you going to stay in bounds? As we've been going through this series, I think for a lot of us, we've started to, to, to find the boundaries where we realize life is best lived. And so today, we're going to keep talking about some boundaries that are going to get very personal. We're going to talk about boundaries with our bodies. I know immediately you're like, whoa, hang on. You, you worry about you, I'll worry about me. We have a culture that says, you know what? You should respect everybody. Like, respect what they do, which is fine. I actually agree. Like, we should respect and love people. We shouldn't cast judgment. However, at the same time, at some point, we've got to be able to speak up and say, I think there might be a better way to live. You know, the respect everybody movement, while there's a lot of pieces about it that I agree with, well, it, it makes us hesitant to ever speak into someone's life and tell them that there might be more, there might be a better way. When all along, you know who is talking about it? God. Right? All throughout Scripture, we see God says there's a better way to live. And I bet when we start talking about our body, as a lot of us, we can recall those moments where we stepped out of bounds, we heard the shriek of the whistle. And we put our heads down and we sauntered back onto the court, having turned over the ball. And God says, you know, I think, I think there's a better way. I'm going to start with, with Jesus himself. What does he say about our bodies? And it's pretty simple. He says, for those who are in Christ, Christ is in you. If you are in Christ, well, Christ is in you. In John 14, he says this. He says, if you love me, Keep my commands. Okay, if you're a follower of Jesus, then take up your cross and follow me. Live sacrificially. Serve people. Do the stuff that I did. Live like I told you to live. And then I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. And here's some good news for us. The world cannot accept him because neither sees him nor knows him. But you, if you're in Christ, you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. Y'all, if we follow Christ, the Spirit of God himself lives in us. If we're Christ followers, then Jesus says, I'm going to take up residence in your body. This body is no longer just ours anymore, but instead our body is deeply spiritual because it contains the stuff of God. If that's the case, then we need to take care of it. We need to love it. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul's talking. He says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God, and that you're not your own, but you've been bought at a price. Therefore, your job is to glorify God with your body. Glorify God with your body. The Spirit of God takes up residence within you. So honor Him. You are no longer just yours. No, God lives in you. And a lot of us, well, we either neglect, reject, or perfect our bodies. We live in those categories of saying, oh, we're going to neglect it or reject it or perfect it, when I think what Paul is saying is what we need to do is we need to respect it and protect it instead. Paul's trying to get across a very important point that, hey, the body that God lives within, that he takes up residence in, it's important because he lives in you. 
And when the Spirit of God is in you, this is the means by which he is put on display. This is the means by which he chooses to to do his work in this world. Your body is the vessel and the tool by which the Spirit works. So take care of it. Glorify God with your bodies. Now, I got a confession to make here, okay? Uh, I haven't always lived this way. Actually, just very recently, I started living this way, caring more about my body. I was a couple years ago, we did this series around here called Everybody Matters, okay? And in that series, we did the Whole Life Challenge as a church. The Whole Life Challenge is this eight-week, like, immersive, holistic uh, life approach to health. It's uh, how you sleep, what you eat, uh, drinking enough water, exercising, all those sort of things, right? And you do it in teams and community. It, was, it, it looked really fun. And we did this series, Everybody Matters. I found myself saying, oh, yeah, we should do that. There's some people who really need that. I'm glad we're doing that for them. Then when the whole life challenge came, I was like, oh yeah, I know some people that should participate. Let me go tell them, right? Like they need to do that. But I myself, I didn't want to give up my Wegmans ice cream. Okay, I wasn't ready to participate quite yet. That is, until we, about the same time we were launching the Abingdon campus. I'm the Abingdon campus pastor. I was getting all excited about it. And, and we made that announcement during the series. And, and Ben walks out on this very platform and he says, hey, um, you know, we have an Abingdon campus Maybe we should have an Abingdon Campus Whole Life Challenge team. And I found myself backstage thinking, you are the biggest jerk in the world. <laughs> like ben didn't know I, I was reluctant to participate, that I wasn't interested. But I think somehow the Spirit convinced me to do it, right? How on earth are we going to have an Abingdon Campus team and the, the soon-to-be Abingdon Campus pastor is not going to participate? So reluctantly, I sign up and I start living in bounds. I got to tell you, really quickly, it changed some stuff for me. I started to feel so much better so quickly. I started to feel more mentally aware. Life just started to be easier and better and feel good. And I know what we're going to talk about today, it might hit home for some of us. And it's going to be a difficult challenge. But let me just say, first and foremost, I've been there. I'm with you. I feel you. And 45 pounds lighter, better rhythms and habits in every aspect of my physical body. Life is good. It's so much better than it was. And I feel like God is using me to do more than he ever has before. We need to take care of our bodies because it's the vessel by which God puts himself on display. His spirit lives within us. So how do we honor God with our bodies? Well, we take care of it. We take care of it. 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word sanctify, it's just a fancy word that means set apart or to make holy, to take care of. Take care of your body. Taking care of your body, it's, it's important because the Spirit of God lives within you. And the Spirit and the soul and the physical, they're all connected. We take care of our bodies, it, it syncs us up with God in some special way. The body, the mind, the spirit, they're all intertwined. So let me ask you, are you taking care of your bodies? Are you sanctifying it? Are you setting it apart? Think about a typical day for you, okay? We'll start way early in the morning. You're in bed, and all of a sudden you hear that annoying, obnoxious, bang, bang, right? Your alarm clock goes off. And what do you do? You reach over, and you hit the snooze button, right? Ten minutes later, bang, 
bang, bang. You reach over again, you hit the snooze button one more time. Bang, bang, bang. We've all been there, right? We feel that. We know what that's like. Well, eventually, you got to get out of bed. You get out of bed, well, you, don't know, you brush your teeth, you shower, you get a cup of coffee, however it is that you start your day, however it is that, that you jumpstart your day, once you get going, do you feel refreshed? Are you tired? And it took me a while to learn how important this is myself. After all, I mean, when I was in my teens, it felt like, man, I could go all day and all night. No big deal, right? The 20s, it got harder. The 30s, oh my goodness, right? 30s got really hard. Uh, just a couple months ago, I went to Indianapolis for a Kentucky game. Uh, it was really fun. Uh, I was excited to go and, and watch the game. We lost, which was heartbreaking. And then the game ended around like 1 a.m. And I had a flight at 4 a.m. And I had to be at work at 8 a.m., right? And so I get on this flight and I get back and I go to work. And man, that, I was worthless that day. I was nodding off in meetings. I couldn't get my words out. I couldn't articulate myself. I, I just felt like I was absolutely worthless. It took me like a week and a half to recover from that trip, right? And I'm only 34. Can you imagine how somebody as old as Ben must feel? <laughs> like, goodness, when we don't have sleep, when we're lacking sleep, we're not much good to anyone, especially ourselves. We're overtired. We're spent. If this is a vessel that God wants to use, he can't use it if it's tired, yet the distractions are real, right? Have you ever sacrificed sleep because there's too much work to do? Like you stay up late, pushing paper, getting ready for the meeting? Or maybe you were watching Netflix late at night, and at the end of the show, like that little thing pops up in the bottom right that says, watch the next episode in 3, 2, 1. It's like the fastest three seconds ever. And the next episode starts, and there you are, locked in. Next thing you know, seven episodes later, 4 a.m., you're finally dragging yourself to bed. Or maybe your alarm clock is set so early that you can never get to bed early enough to feel like you got enough sleep. Or maybe when you finally get into bed, you find yourself scrolling through your phone, looking at Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Actually, uh, I read this week, uh, because of the introduction of smartphones, there's never been a generation more sleep-deprived than those who are teenagers right now. There's so much science that we just don't have time to get into about how important sleep is for our lives. When we lack sleep, we're out of sync with God. Those who are sleep-deprived, they, they gain weight. They're more likely to get sick. They struggle with anxiety or depression. Lack of sleep, it leads to mental fuzziness and mistakes made. There's something spiritual about this because when we lack sleep, we just can't get synced up with God. And Elijah, in the Old Testament, he realized this, but he learned the hard way. Elijah is a great man of God who God used his physical body in many amazing ways. One, uh, seen in particular is 1 Kings 18. Elijah, God chooses to use him to defeat these prophets of Baal. 400 prophets of Baal. It's a real battle that takes place. And Elijah stands up and says, God, use me however you see fit. And he, he enters this moment and he defeats these prophets of Baal, these false prophets, and he finds himself then on the mountaintop feeling good about himself. But as, as quickly as he reaches the, this point of excitement about how God has used him, he also then immediately finds himself bottoming out, stressed out, depressed. He's worn out. He's exhausted. And it's taken its toll on him. And now, to make matters worse, this girl Jezebel wants to kill him, so he finds himself taking off running. Running out into the desert, running, 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 running. He runs himself absolutely ragged until eventually he finds himself just collapsed out in the desert. And here's what he says to God. 
I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. What a change of tone for Elijah. God just used him in some amazing ways. The Spirit of God worked through him. He was on the mountaintop, and no, no, not a minute later, he finds himself depressed and tired and worn out. And he says, God, just take my life. One writer says, it's amazing what you can do when you're rested up and fired up, and it's amazing what you can't do when you're worn out and burned out. Elijah was worn out. He was tired. He was exhausted. He had worked so hard. He ran himself into the ground. And I wonder if some of us are there right now. Feeling like, man, I could just use some sleep. I just need some rest. I'm so tired. I want you to notice carefully what happens here with Elijah. Because I think it can help us too. God comes and he replenishes him. He uses this really special approach to refuel and replenish him. It's when we're depleted, distorted, and discouraged. God says, you know what? I have an idea. And here's what it looks like for Elijah. In 1 Kings 19.5, it says, Then he lay down under a tree and fell asleep. Did you see it? He's worn out. He's tired. He's burned out. What does he do? He goes to sleep. It's as simple as that. And then all all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Elijah, he took a nap. He fell asleep. And then a messenger of God comes, cooks him some bread, gives him a jar of water. He ate and drank. And then he went back to bed. An angel of the Lord comes back again and wakes him up another time, in which he did. And he woke up and he felt replenished and refueled. And he went on to do the next thing that he needed to do. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is go to bed. Take a nap replenish yourself. Sleep sustains you. It's a time of renewal, mental maintenance, neurological cleansing. It's important to push some limits with your sleeping habits. After all, I mean, even, even Jesus slept, right? We see in, in Luke chapter 8, Jesus is in this boat and the storm is coming, yet he finds himself laying there asleep. Jesus took time to rest. And whether the storm is coming or the storm has passed, we need to make sure that we are creating boundaries that allow us to rest and be replenished so that God can use this physical body in all the ways that he has intended. So, set an alarm. Not to wake you up, but to put you to sleep. At 10 o'clock at night, have your phone buzz and say, go to bed, no excuses, right? Schedule a nap in your Sunday. My wife right now, she's seven months pregnant, and uh, she takes naps. It's necessary. It's needed, right? Today, at some point, I'm going to come home, and she's going to be sitting there on the couch, dead asleep, and she's going to wake up replenished, refreshed. Create boundaries and bedtimes with your kids. Tell them when to go to bed. My little boy would stay up all night if I let him, but I don't let him because I know it's good for him to get a good night's rest. Maybe you need to remove the cell phone from your bedroom. Or put mandatory sleep times on all of your devices. Maybe you need to start exercising. Exercising is a part of a rhythm that that leads to good rest. Maybe you need to put the work away and put yourself to bed. Because when you wake up in the morning, you need to feel replenished. Do you? Do you? Let's fast forward through your day a little bit further. Okay, we're going to come to lunchtime. And here we are, we actually went out to lunch today, good for us, right? And the waiter comes and he puts the menu in front of you and you have a decision to make. 
Are you going to eat healthy? Or are you going to eat not healthy? Are you going to eat a lot? Are you going to eat a little? Are you going to starve yourself? Are you going to gorge yourself? Right? We have these decisions that we have to make because a big part of caring for your body is setting boundaries with food. And I don't think it's any surprise to any of us that what we eat changes the way that we feel. When we put good stuff into our bodies, we feel good. We need boundaries with our food. Because if this is a temple that the Spirit of God dwells within, then I don't just need to care about the outside, I need to care about the inside too. Make sure we're putting stuff into our diet that makes us feel good, that makes us healthy. You know, Paul, he talks a little bit about this in 1 Corinthians. He, sa- he says, hey guys, here's the deal. You, like, you can eat whatever you want. All of it's fair game. But that doesn't mean it's beneficial or helpful to you. He says, let me give you some advice, okay? And he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Paul's trying to tell us something here. He's saying, hey, every aspect of your physical life is an act of worship, even what you eat and drink. Even something as small as the food and the, and the beverage that we put into our body is a way that we can worship. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God, so that the glory of God can be used through your physical body, be shown through your physical body. But the temptation is real. Buffets everywhere. I can order as much food as I want. Fast food's so easy to get. When I walk into a meeting, usually there's, there's, a, there's a bowl on the table with like chips and crackers. It's like everywhere I go, there's food. This temptation was real for my buddy Justin. I want to share with you his story a little bit. It was a while ago, 2017, that he found himself ineffective, inadequate, and tired. Okay, those are his words, not mine. He's realizing that his spiritual health was suffering because he wasn't taking care of himself physically. And so he decided to participate in the whole life challenge. He wasn't forced into it, okay? He chose to. 263 pounds is where he started. He set some limits, some boundaries on sleeping, exercise, and yes, even the things that he was eating. And as he set those limits, something started to happen for Justin. I'll I'll read you his words. Eating better, exercising, stretching, drinking water, hearing the weekly message at Mountain and being part of a men's small group on Wednesdays. To me, it was all connected. I'd feel like exercising was a spiritual experience for me. So I continued all in on this total health journey, and exactly one year in, I'd lost 60 pounds. It was amazing, God's story, and how he transformed me first physically, and then I started to see a true transformation mentally, emotionally, and even spiritually. I realized then that my mind, my body, my spirit, they're all connected. My endurance has gone way up. I'm more patient than I've ever been, and I have six kids at home. It takes a lot of patience. I found myself doing things I've never done before. I went on a mission trip to China. We're hosting an exchange student. I've become a better dad and better husband. God is using me in ways that I couldn't have expected. My total health journey, it started on May 20th, 2017, but it's no longer about the scale. It's about a lifestyle. It's about being healthier in all aspects of my life. And because of that, I'm a better Christ follower. Sharing this story, it's not about what I've accomplished on my own strength. It's about being faithful and giving God all the praise and glory for what he's done in my life. I I love this guy. I love his story. He's become a great source of accountability and encouragement to me. We text often about the struggle. We, We encourage each other when we feel like we've come up short. 
We've heard the shriek of the whistle. We're, we're quick to interact. Because we know, and we've come to realize, what 1 Corinthians 10 says is true, that even what we eat and drink is an act of worship. And it changes the way we feel and allows God to do good stuff through this physical body. So, where are you out of bounds here? Set some boundaries with what you eat. Commit to not eating out as much. It saves money and it helps your body. Find accountability, right? I came home the other night and, and I was hungry and I said, Sarah, if I get the Cheez-Its out of the pantry, just slap them out of my hand, all right? Don't let me do it. Find accountability. Make sure your diet includes a lot of the stuff that is good for you. But at the same time, you don't have to punish yourself, okay? You can have a treat every now and then. And teach this to your kids. Put vegetables on their plate. When you pack a bag of chips in the lunchbox, put an apple as well. Show them what a good diet does to make you live life in a better way. And when you start setting these boundaries, what you realize and what Justin says, it's all connected. Taking care of our bodies leads to us taking care of our spirit. The spiritual and the physical are intertwined. And when the meal is over and the check has come, how do you feel? How do you feel? Let's fast forward through your day, okay? By this point, you've probably exercised, you've read some stuff, you've watched TV, whatever. Let's get to the very end of your day. You walk upstairs, you walk into the bedroom, and you see the bed there. The bed, well, it's a place of intimacy. Here's the deal. How do you feel about that? Because taking care of our bodies, well, it means that we need to have boundaries with sex as well. I know, like the room's just tensed up. Like, are we going to talk about that in church? Yeah, we are. We need to be talking about sex. It needs to be a big part about what we talk about. And let, let me just, let me start with the good news, okay? Chill out, relax. Sex is amazing. Expect like an amen. Come on, people. Sex is good. Okay, sex is something that was created by God. It's not a dirty word. It's something God created. And in the context of the boundaries by which God has placed it, it is beautiful and it's amazing. I actually recommend it in bounds. So why then do we tense up when we start to talk about it? Well, because I think maybe we go out of bounds here often and we like it. It feels good whether it's the lustful gaze of an attractive woman or something we see on a screen that stimulates us. It's easy to step out of bounds here. Maybe it's a random hookup, pushing the limits to say, hey, how far is too far? How far can I go? Maybe sex just isn't a big deal to you. Sleep with whoever you want, whenever you want. Maybe some use it to ease pain in their life, and others, well, it's something they've been forced into. If we're going to see our bodies as temples, as holy, as set apart. Well, then we have to take boundaries with sex seriously. We can't just ignore this one because it feels good. Remember that verse in 1 Corinthians we were talking about? Well, a little more context there. We're going we're gonna to share the couple of verses before that one, the one about glorify God with your bodies. See, the church in Corinth, they, they were pushing some spiritual boundaries, some physical boundaries. They were pushing sexual boundaries. They were stepping on the line, and they were hearing the shriek of the whistle. And so Paul says, hey, let me give you a little bit of advice. He says, flee from sexual immorality. 
All other sins a person commits are outside of their body, but whoever sins sexually is sin against their body. So flee from it. And he continues, he says this, don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Remember this, it's important. Who's in you, whom you've received from God? And he goes on and he says, you are not your own, you were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. Now we see a slightly different tone from Paul here. Paul is usually quick to say like, hey, fight the good fight. Like stand up against sin, you can do better. But when it comes to sexual immorality, you see how his tone changed? What did he say? He said, flee! Run from it! Get out of here! Take off! Get out of the way! And it's, it's crazy to think about because even Jesus, right? Jesus sat at the table with gluttons and he himself did not become a glutton. Jesus put into practice really great habits with sleep. But when it came to temptation, sexual immorality, he says, if you so much as look at a woman lustfully, do me a favor. If it's your right eye causing you to stumble, Take a spoon, gouge it out, and just throw it away. It's not worth it. We need boundaries with sex because there's something so deeply connected about our physical and spiritual, and that's especially true of the way that, that, that we use our bodies sexually. Sex, when lived in bounds, what's fun? It's exciting. It's energizing. But stepping on the sidelines, hearing the shriek of the whistle, it, hurt, it leads to hurt and regret, heartbreak, pain, sadness. It minimizes the beauty and the sacredness of something God himself created for a very special purpose. In the world we live in, it's taken sex and it's made an ordinary where God says it's holy and special and set apart. You know, it turns out God knows what he's talking about. Surprise, right? Like God knows what he's talking about here. So the context, the boundaries God invites us to engage sex in, well, they're, they're quite simple. Ultimately, uh, Paul and Jesus both say, hey, if you cannot get married and choose to live that lifestyle, if you can choose chastity, go for it, right? I mean, Jesus never got married. He never worried about the bounds of sex because he knew what they were meant for, and he chose not to get married. And unlike food, like if you don't eat food, you die. If you don't sleep, you die. If you don't have sex, you can still live. What? really? Yeah. And Jesus said, I chose not to participate in marriage. I could live in chastity. And what it did is it helped me to give more of my life to the gospel. However, if sex is something you desire and marriage is something you desire, go right ahead. But sex is reserved for the confines of a marriage relationship. Genesis 2, it shows us how important the image of God is and why he created sex. We, we people, were meant for community. In Jesus, Genesis 2, uh, God puts on display the closest of all human relationships. That's the marriage relationship. Adam is created and Eve follows close behind, made from all the same stuff that man is made from. And in Genesis 2, it says, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Jesus and Paul, they both echo these words later in Scripture, explaining the importance of the oneness found in a marriage relationship. Jesus actually goes so far as to say the closest comparison we have to how he relates to his church is the relationship between a husband and a wife, between spouses. It's more than just physical. It's emotional, it's intellectual, and it's spiritual. It's about love, care, and attention and sex is a part of this. Sex is meant to bond us together with our spouse. In the ancient world, to, to leave your parents was a big deal. 
To leave their house is a big deal. And so if you were going to go and live with someone else, it should be in a relationship that's going to last. You're now being bonded to somebody new, right? It's meant to be permanent. And sex is a part of what makes it happen. A little, a little science lesson for you. When you engage in any sort of sexual activity, whether it's looking at a picture, sexual touching, or intercourse, your brain starts to fire and chemicals are released called dopamine. And those chemicals actually interact with some of the very same parts of your brain that drug use would. And those chemicals, they, they work to form a bond, to draw you in, to addict you to whatever it is that you're engaging with. And when you hear that and you reflect on the words like, united to his wife, become one flesh, doesn't it start to seem like, oh, maybe God had a plan here? We're meant to be united to, addicted to, stuck to our spouse, to be one flesh in every way, to care for each other. Sex is reserved for marriage because it's the glue that holds us together. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, it bonds us. Every time we go out of bounds here, it weakens the bond. That includes pornography. It includes touching. Whether you're married now or hope to be one day, staying in bounds here, it sets you up for marital success. And a beautiful, amazing life, the way God intended it to be. You can maybe understand why Paul says flee. Don't mess with that. It's too important. Don't mess with that. We need boundaries with our sex life because it creates the best life for us. We live outside the lines, you know, sex gets distorted and it gets complicated. And there's consequences that can really hurt. The shriek of the whistle might start to feel real to you. Sexual abuse is a vivid reminder that pain exists beyond godly boundaries. Disease can be spread outside of godly boundaries. Uh, emotional and spiritual pain can create deep wounds in our heart and soul outside of good godly boundaries. Marriages that are formed after many sexual partners are less likely to succeed. God knows what he's talking about with this stuff. But we engage sex in the limits. It's an amazing idea of God's meant to bring more unity, joy, love, commitment to our marriages. So when the day is over, you enter the bedroom, and you see the bed there, how do you feel? Is the bed a place of joy and love or is it a place of hurt and pain and regret? We have boundaries because we need to take care of our bodies. They are a temple that God chooses to live in and through. Learn to bounce your eyes. Put good parameters on your smartphone or computer. Start teaching your children about this. I'm reading a book right now with my eight-year-old son called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. It's helping him to know how pornography can hurt him. Have the sex talk. Find accountability. Don't be alone in the basement. Go home at night. Don't ask too far, how far is too far, but instead just say, God, how can I be more like you? And I know this is complicated because it might mean changing your living arrangements or lifestyle. But at the end of the day, when I go to bed and the next morning the alarm clock rings again, I want to wake up knowing I honor God with my body and that today is going to be the best day yet. 
And I know, like, this is personal. There can be some hurt here. As we learn the boundaries, we might think, well, yeah, I've, I've stepped outside of them. I, I'm guilty. As we think about that, I want to draw us back to the whiteboard here. Every time one of my boys stepped out of bounds, they'd hear the shriek of the whistle, the yell of the ref, and they would turn around and they would walk back onto the court with their head down. Now, as a coach, I'm standing there thinking, no, no, there's, there's still a game to be played. There's still work to do here. Pay attention, boys. I know you stepped on the sideline, but the, na- the game is not over. I'm, I'm a pretty animated coach, just so you know, on the sideline, I'm sitting there screaming, Isaac, I know you stepped out of bounds, but there is still a game to be played. Put your head up. Get back on defense. Keep going. I know you messed up, but the game is not over, and we can still win. Isaac, keep playing the game. Get back in. Hey, you have not fouled out. Friends, I got to tell you, if if this hits home for you today, if you feel like, yeah, I have gone out of bounds, let me tell you something that you have got to hear. You have to know this. The game is not over. You are still in the game. The game can still be won, and you have not fouled out. Paul knows this, and he wants us to know it. Paul is this great man of God who continues to struggle, continues to struggle. Romans 7, he says, you know what? I'm going to pursue righteousness. I'm going to try to be more like him, but I keep doing the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I want to do. And he says this as it reflects on himself. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? I keep stepping out of bounds. I'm trying so hard, but I keep stepping out of bounds. But let me give you a little bit of hope, because here's what Paul goes on to say. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. The game is not over. You are not fouled out. You can still win. Set the boundaries. Let God live through you. And if you step on the sideline, pick your head up and get back in the game and try hard not to do it again. But every time you do, remember the grace of God is there with you and for you. Let's set some boundaries, friends. Let's also have some grace. For all the times that we've come up short in the past, and for all the times that we will in the future, with the promise that we will pursue righteousness and we will try our hardest to glorify God with our bodies. After all, He lives within you. Let's pray. God, we love you. And we thank you, God, for your love for us. And God, as we talk about boundaries, uh, many of us, we hear the shriek of the whistle in our own lives. Like we know the places where we've stepped out of bounds. And so God, may we also continue to remember and know and rest in how great your grace is. That Jesus, you love us. And God, just like Paul, we, we should pursue good boundaries. We should push good godly limits into our lives. 
And God, that's especially true of this vessel that carries your spirit. God, do something in and through us. Help us to be more like you. And God, when we come up short, help us to know that your grace is sufficient for us. We love you, Jesus. Amen.